Warning! This episode contains foul language and touches on death, addiction, anti-Semitism, racism, sexism, heffalumps, and woozles. podcast for all things strange and unusual, bippity and boppity, bashful and dopey, and all-around phantasmic. Each week we get a chance to sit down and chat about something weird, and this week is certainly no exception because we are venturing into the magical, mystical, and sometimes racially insensitive world of Walt Disney. There's no question that Disney is one of the most powerful companies in the world today, and it's not like they didn't earn it. Starting out in Los Feliz in 1923, the studio made flop after flop, and yet today, almost 100 years later, Disney brings in around $55 billion a year. Today we're going to talk about the man, the myth, the legend himself, and the beloved and not-so-beloved films that made Disney the shifty conglomerate monopoly that it is today. My name is Ashley, and this is my co-host, Lauren. Hello, weirdos. (laughs) And today we have a very special guest. You've heard him on the show before, and some of you have probably become fans of his podcast as well. From the hilarious show Movies That Made Us Gay, it's Scott Youngbauer. Hello. Hi, weirdos. Welcome back. So good to be here. It's so nice to be here in the air conditioning in the valley. Yes. We're, in person. You know, you're in, Pasadena, we're so in person. You're in Pasadena. We're in person. That we're in person. Uh, yeah, I, we like, are. That's oh, so special. Also, we're in person. <laughs> I think that my first visit to Keep It Weird showed up on my Facebook timeline a, f- a couple weeks ago, and it was Aww. 2017. That's I think that was bizarre. my first official sit-down podcast I ever did. Really? And that was when we now did I'm dolls. churning out one a week. I yeah. was going to say, now <laughs> you're in the big leagues. Such a pro. <laughs> and I do remember it was for our dolls episode. Mm-hmm. We could not run the air conditioning. Because yep. it was too loud for our single mic. That's when right. we just had, had to stop in the middle of it and yep. turn on. <laughs> we yeah. all were drenched and we had to stand up off the couch and like shake our bodies <laughs> off. <laughs> like, shake uh, the water It was really off. uncomfortable, really hot. Really uh, cute. It's good to know that we've we've come a long way. We have. Look at this professional setup, guys. <laughs> and you guys are here with us. <laughs> we're drinking sparkling seltzer, so you know what that means. Burps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's time for me to belch. Um, I also want to throw a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode because I don't want to come off as a heartless wench if I say anything bad about Disney. Because I actually, I like Disney. I love Disneyland. I like most Disney movies. But I also think it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, our show is Keep It Weird. We talk about weird things, but we also talk about the weird parts of normal things yeah and when it comes to something like disney which is like magical and it's love and peace on earth and all this stuff the things that make it weird are the darker things right are the things that are like oh like this happened and it was racist or this happened and it was blah 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 so um i think that it's just interesting that we gravitate towards the darker side of disney when we talk about the weird parts of it right 
just kind of happens naturally. And it doesn't mean that we hate Disney. You're listening to three Disney fans yeah. in this room. Scott and I actually ran into each other yeah, at Disneyland. I was going to say, didn't we you randomly times? ran into each other in Cars Land. <laughs> I was going to say it was <laughs> by like the Cozy Cone Motel. Yep, yep. we were getting some snacks. And then it was we very ran cute. into you again yep. at Galaxy's Edge. Which was crazy. Yeah, I can't remember twice. what the store is named. Yeah, but Which I know where you what buy you like all the fun Star Wars stuff. Really I haven't been stuff. to Galaxy's Edge yet. I it's haven't exciting. been back. Yep. It's very cool. I'm excited to see Avengers Campus. But... We're going to we're going to Disney World next month. <gasps> Disney I'm trying World? not yeah, to right. I'm trying not to psych myself out that we're going into like the heart of the beast of yeah. COVID. Right. Next right. Next month. But, but it's Florida. We'll be fine. Also, <laughs> we're Disney vaccinated. And Disney World takes it super seriously. Yes, yeah. So if I, if I had to be in any major crowd, I would I think I would want it to be at Disney World. They're doing it the right way. They yeah. have good rules in place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think your travel will be hindered in any way because it's Florida and we know that they haven't really cared about <laughs> rules old, and regulations. Florida uh, Project. That yep. was the that was the name for Disney World. <laughs> yeah, yes. when they were when they were creating it. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, the Florida was, Project. Did you know it was, was supposed to be movie. in St. Louis, Missouri? No, what? They I've originally it was supposed to be Disneyland was supposed to be in St. Louis, okay. um, but I mean, it makes Anheuser Busch yep. basically said you have to serve our beer at your park, and Walt was like, "I don't want alcohol in my park." Which is something like, that you they're can't... finally caving to now. Now, yeah. today, just yeah. now, like California yeah. Adventure in, park, in yep. LA has had alcohol for a long time, but now in Disneyland, you can get some alcohol. And does Disney World allow it too now? I think just very specific places, and okay. I think that Disneyland it's only now going to be at the Blue Bayou, which. Right. Also, if you're going to be paying like $300 for dinner, I think I need a glass of damn wine. Yes. Um, And then also the cantina. I think those are like the two places in Disneyland where you can get booze now. The cantina in Galaxy's Edge is very fun, Ashley. I feel like you would really dig it. Just like aliens hanging out, serving you drinks. It's real fun. It's a good time. Oh, um, Disney. See, we like it. it. See, so just, we love it, guys. Just don't strap take it. In. But not- I mean, <laughs> we can, I mean, us at Keep It Weird can knock old Walt down yeah. a few notches. Yeah, just to, down a few pegs. It's okay here. to point out his problematic moments and still accept that he was a visionary. And well, and that's cool the things. thing. That's the cool thing about being a well-rounded person is that you can still enjoy someone and enjoy some of the things they make while also be able to criticize them. Sure. Yep. Like Walt, some people treat Walt Disney like they treat President Trump. Yep. He's their god. <laughs> it's like, no, he's a god. He can do no wrong. It's right. like, well, technically, well, we have um, some issues. he does a lot of things wrong. <laughs> yes. And we're going to talk about him. So Lauren's going to start today by giving us a rundown of Walt's least <laughs> Walty moments. <laughs> least Walty moments. Yes. I'm not jumping into the movies, to be clear. I'm kind of focusing on his work life because he, yeah, he has a couple problematic moments mm-hmm. that I thought we should call out. Well, and I, I mostly wanted to do that to separate fact from fiction. Yes. Because yeah. so many people are like, Walt Disney was a Nazi or Walt right. Disney was anti Semitic. Yes. And it's like, there's very, so many. Very broad statements. Yeah. So broad. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, hey, that's not exactly yeah. how it was. But let's, how was it? What right. was he like? Totally. Was he an anti Semite, et cetera, et cetera? Right. That's what we're diving into. And we know that it's controversial. I was just saying before we started, my sweet husband Alex is at home crying because he thinks I'm just <laughs> slandering Walt. 
adult's name. And I'm like, listen, we're just no, stating no, no. historical facts. That's okay. Everyone knows about the good things he did. Yes. I'm like, we all still love him. It's great. He was a visionary, like created this brand new, amazing world of animation, ma- making the first feature length animation with Snow White. The theme parks, the overall magical experience. We love the Disney company, and he was a visionary for sure. He changed the game. That's all fine and good. However. However. There are just a few things in Walt's past that we're going to discuss. It was not all magic and rainbows. So some of the rumors, just to kind of list them off, are that he was anti-Semitic, sexist, um, possibly a Nazi, overly conservative, maybe a fascist, just all of the things. So let's dive in. Unfortunately, even though this would make for great gossip and a better story, Walt was not a Nazi. People want to believe it. I truly don't believe that he was. Um, Because of his conservative views, he was found in some not-so-great groups from time to time. So I would say, at most, you could maybe call him a Nazi sympathizer, but even Mm -hmm. that almost feels too heavy. But Mm -hmm. basically what happened, uh, I'll even quote his Disney's, one of his biggest animators, Art Babbitt, who they ended up hating each other by the end of Walt's life. He worked very closely with Disney for a long time, though. He was quoted as saying that there was a small but fiercely loyal and even legal following of the Nazi party here in America. There were open meetings anybody could attend, and I wanted to see what was going on for myself. On more than one occasion, I observed Walt Disney and Gunther Lessing, his lawyer, there, along with a lot of prominent Nazi-affiliated Hollywood personalities. Disney was going to these meetings all of the time. And that was his quote in a book called Hitler's Doubles, And he was talking about Walt being at these meetings. And these meetings that Art Babbitt is referring to were meetings of the American Nazi Party that were just talking about how being Nazis are cool. And Walt was attending them. What? So that I'm just stating facts that he was seen there by multiple people. I didn't know that. Disney also personally hosted Nazi filmmaker Lenny Riefenstahl, or Riefenstahl, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, when she came to promote her film Olympia in 1938, a month after the assault on Jews known as Kristallnacht, where Jews were killed and their property destroyed, like ripped out of their homes, things lit on fire. Horrific. Basically what, you know, put everything into action, like for the Holocaust. I knew about that. Yeah. Yeah. So he hosted her in 1938, right after that happened, gave her a tour of his studio. And Riefenstahl even commented afterwards that it was gratifying to learn how thoroughly Americans distanced themselves from the smear campaigns of the Jews. So she was with Disney all day, kind of seeing how they operate and her takeaway from all of it was like wow they're really staying away from those evil jews like i really like what he's doing (laughs) not that walt necessarily said anything to her but what she was seeing made her think like oh we're on the same team i'm into Mm -hmm. this guy so those were two very bad things that did not they just so why was he in a good light why was he going to american nazi parties or nazi meetings so this is the thing The thing, like, he never even made an official comment of, like, this is why I'm here, which is what he should have done. It's very difficult to defend, defend, and the meeting with this prominent Nazi figure, the filmmaker Lenny, could be explained through their shared craft and business interests. But either way, it was just in such poor taste that everyone was mad. Even his close colleagues were like, why'd you do that, dude? What the hell? And as far as going to the meetings, he would just keep saying, well, it's because a lot of filmmakers unfortunately, are part of this Nazi party. Well, I know that the Nazi party kind of pioneered a lot of documentary filmmaking, too. They did. And he was Mm -hmm. trying to learn a little bit more about it. So that is sort of, again, he never made the official statement, this is why I was there. 
but that is kind of what was concocted and you know people close to him and what the company started saying was like oh he was trying to learn more these were shared business interests okay yada 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 i See, know I'm like, i my thing is i didn't know about that and before we went into this, I was like, I don't think he's an anti-Semite. And now I'm like, fuck Walt Disney. Wah, wah. That's fucking bullshit. Because this wasn't like, we didn't know what they were doing in Germany. Like, right. we had we had it all. We had all the information. Yeah. So I don't care. It'd be like anyway. me going to an ISIS meeting because there were good podcasters there. Be like, I just want to know what mics they use. Okay, but also, like, what the I fuck? mean, in the defense of Walt, Art Babbitt only saw him there because he attended as well. So it, then you're kind of like, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. So who all? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm that's saying. I think people yeah. were. I do think people genuinely attended a meeting or two just to be like, what the hell are these people talking about? And Walt very much could have been doing that, or maybe a colleague invited him, and maybe that's why his lawyer was with him because that was Art's quote that he was there with Gunther, his lawyer. And maybe if he to, like, knew, kind of help him. Yeah. Maybe if he knew that part of his legacy would be that he was a Nazi sympathizer, he might have like said something more about it while yes. he was alive. Exactly. I I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks he was just truly naive and was like, I'm just going to this meeting because I, I like these other filmmakers and I want to talk to them. And it's like, no. Yeah, but also but you can't do that. Right? I'm not yeah. saying that he wasn't an anti-Semite, but I just I'm trying to think of things or I'm like, maybe he truly didn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say when you weren't there. I know. So we were thinking that he maybe went to these meetings and hosted Lenny, the filmmaker, on the lot to, you know, talk about his shared interests. As I said, also him and Lenny were both in similar situations. They were tasked with making propaganda for their two governments, respectively. She yep. was making propaganda for Germany and America had then enlisted Walt to make propaganda as well. So they might have been swapping advice. They might have been, you know, sharing stories. And also another rumor I found online was that a possible explanation for this meeting is that Disney really wanted to get his films back into Germany. After... Yeah, I was going to say, is was it a weird distribution thing? Yes. That he felt like he had to go there and talk to someone? Like, can somebody yeah. help me? Because uh -huh. Hitler had like basically outlawed like all American movies saying Hollywood is controlled by the Jews and they can't be in here. So Disney was like, well, maybe I can get an inside scoop, but... Yeah, he, again, everyone was criticizing him for being with Lenny Reifenstahl. I was like, what are you doing, dude? So even if it was professional, that one was a little hard to excuse. Yeah. And to get into the propaganda films as well, which, Scott, I know you had texted us about these. And so I was like, oh, I need to dive into these short films. They're yeah. so interesting. Oh, they're bananas. <laughs> they're, they're banana crazy. town. I would say, like, I'm not going to do, like, a super dive into them. I'll talk about them a little. Go look up all these shorts on YouTube because they're fascinating. They're basically all 10 minutes long. I think one might be 12 minutes. Super short. But one of the biggest ones he did was right when World War II started, he made Education for Death, The Making of a Nazi in 1943. Disney animators used this film to describe the birth of an Aryan German before cataloging the indoctrination process of the Hitler youth in a 10-minute documentary short propaganda piece. Wow. And basically, this made Walt look better because all these rumors were going around about being sure, at the Nazi yeah. party meetings. And he's being very anti-German in this whole piece. And he's saying, like, hey, they think they're a master race and this is wrong. So he came out with that and people were sort of like, OK, we're we're with you again. But he was being commissioned for these by the military and by right. the American government. So then you can also, you know, play devil's advocate and be like, well, he was kind of forced. But and I want to say that at the time that there was sort of a pop-up military base on the Disney lot. Yes, there was. Glendale they were the they occupied yeah. them for like 8 mm -hmm. months, I think yeah. it was. It was kind of a long time. Well, cuz when okay, 
uh, timeline. When did Disneyland open? That was 1960-something. Yeah, no, it was in the 50s. Oh, it was, it was 50s. 50s. Oh, 50s. What, Pete? You know it? 55. We have, we have yeah. an audience member. We have 55. an audience. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, so, so 1955, so, but Disney Studio, the one in Los Feliz? Yes, that would have been one? the early one, right? I mean, or no, would this have been that, Bank by That now? would have been, I mean, in Los Feliz is where they animated Snow White. Right. right. And had some they of the early movies. And then they moved on the lot, I want to say, in the... 40s i think they moved on probably the lot around this time. in burbank yeah yep. i think they were on the lot at this point yeah there, there was military occupation on the lot because they were very close by to a base and so then in turn the military started being like hey you're great at animating and making films i think mm-hmm. you could yep. speak to the people so we want to use you for our propaganda we can, we can put them right before like a movie exactly the newsreel we need yep. your little did we he need get your any, little... any of that military money i guess we didn't have the military industrial complex yet so he maybe did, he didn't indeed. get like big bucks but <laughs> sure. i didn't know if no, he got but he definitely money. got paid for it um i will talk about that in a second um one of the other movies he made i just wanted to talk about a couple of them there were several but he made another one called commando duck where Donald Duck by himself destroyed an entire Japanese airbase. I've seen this yeah, one. We watched yeah. that one the other day. I was like, that one yeah. is a little more popular, I would say. Um, but yeah, that was definitely to make Americans say, like, Japanese are bad. Right. Look what Donald did. So that what was kind Donald of, did. That was the lesson of that. He also made a short called Donald Gets Drafted, where we got to see the experience of a U.S. soldier basically from the moment of them being drafted, showing them get a medical examination when they first got to their base, and then showing them, like, meeting their sergeant for the first time, getting their uniform. It just, like, went through a day of being a soldier, but with Donald Duck as the example, because it had to be adorable. But what's funny is, like, we can sit here and giggle and be like, oh, that's such a funny cartoon. But actually, people loved this one the most, because I guess a lot of military families didn't know what was going on with their loved ones. It's like, what was their communication? Yeah, Yeah, and they, like, kids and spouses alike were like, this is great. I'm so yeah. happy I learned Especially, about Especially, I mean, you say you give them a kiss goodbye, and then the next time you talk to them is like if you get a letter once exactly. they've been yeah. situated. That comes you know? so late. And, and you better yeah. hope that you don't get like one of the officers knocking on your exactly. door. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so that was probably on. a time where that yes. was very much so appreciated totally. to see someone as, you know, I don't know how famous Donald Duck was yet. I think he was pretty big. Mm-hmm. I like he because I mean, he was like, one of the all originals. Of the, all of the, of the classic shorts that we grew up watching; those were all from the forties. Yeah. yeah, those were originals. So I think mm-hmm. Donald was pretty he was well a friendly loved. face. Yeah, he was the friendly face they needed. So that one was received so well. So the fact that Disney was enlisted to make these anti-German propaganda films is not surprising at all, because again, the military was you know at his side the whole way. Um, They wanted to show America what they were really about, get everyone on the same page, and Disney was the man with the power to produce something perfect for them. He would get the information out in the best, most relatable way with good old Donald. And when people saw how well the shorts did, more people started flocking to Walt to make animations, and he even made two shorts for the Treasury Department of the United States of America. The first one was called The New Spirit in 1942, and then an immediate sequel, The Spirit of 43, in 1943, which both centered around income taxes and convincing people to pay their taxes again through an adorable cartoon. Wow. (laughs) That's the way to do it. We should uh, get the Disney company to make new films. I almost said propaganda films, but it wouldn't be propaganda, but like new films that teach kids how to like fill out a w-4 sure and like nobody taught us for a loan (laughs) 
That is what so is a true. 401k? The things that no one teaches us in school. I would love to hear it we from Mickey and like Minnie. We kind of like schoolhouse rock, but I would love true. for Mickey and Minnie yeah. to be I like, learned oh. how bills got passed. <laughs> yeah. I would love how to be an adult. I would Bye. love to learn how to be an adult through Mickey and Minnie. Yeah. That is, that's my dream. Maybe even Goofy. Um, also, as Scott pointed out to me and Ashley, there is even a short film on menstruation. I was going to say, did you watch? <laughs> no, the, I haven't watched watch it yet. Oh, I watched it. Yeah. I couldn't not. It's so is it weird. It's cringy. Accurate for the time. Yes. Okay. I was going to say. Yeah, or are they pre- like once a month? Uh, you're cursed by a witch, and <laughs> your underwear gets ruined. Sort of. No. It it was accurate, but still a little cringy mm-hmm. and. Bizarre. It was a mm-hmm. weird watch yeah. for sure. Right. Um, it's called The Story of Menstruation. It was put out in 1946 and it was passed around to schools to educate young women, which like I'm all for. That's great. It was commissioned by the company, which today goes by Kimberly Clark and has the brand Kotex under their umbrella, which if you're a lady, you've heard of them, feminine hygiene products. But it just makes me laugh. Like, who better to explain the menstrual cycle to us than a male-dominated animation company <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. with no knowledge of the female body and somebody – and by men who don't respect any of the women who work for the company, which we'll get more into in a second. But they put out all these pieces. It was crazy. And you're sort of like, wow. I mean, that's great that he's doing this for all these people. Like, Disney's really coming around. But it was also beneficial for him. He yeah, wasn't just doing like people a favor. It's not like he was favor. doing it for free. I mean, he... he's probably looking for funding. That's he's what I was going to come because to. Yep. Especially, for money. especially for that time of the 40s that the follow-up to Snow White, Pinocchio, didn't make a lot of money. It didn't. Like, and neither I don't did think Fantasia. It, I don't think it made it. I, th- I don't think any of those two movies made a profit for the studio. I mean, the studio features wouldn't really see an actual cash profit until Cinderella in like the 50s. Right. Well, and Walt was also known for taking the movie that he, or the money that he had made from the previous movie and just pouring it into the next. So nobody ever got paid or saw that money really. Like he was just giving everyone like the bare minimum, not treating anybody very well because he was just saying, okay, everything, all this cash, everything we just got into the next movie. Go back into the studio. Put millions into Fantasia, which today we all love and has become to be more appreciated, but it was a total flop. We just revisited Fantasia and it is It's tougher now. It is fascinating to watch. I just I've never now. watched it high and that's my new plan is that Why I haven't okay. we I haven't sure. either. I, get I mean you have to wait until the very end of the movie for Night Elm for Night on Bald Mountain. Too. Which is Yep. Hopefully which, I'll be sober by then. Which is amazing. Because Wait, I don't can I come scared? over for this? Because yeah. I've also yeah. never watched it high, which Absolutely. is surprising. I really want to do that. Just clip those little, those little black children from like the from like the horse number. Oh god! I was going yeah. to say that yeah. there's a slave <laughs> centaur still... part. Yeah, that, those is were there? those were like edited. I do think ago. they're probably oh, out okay. now, but yeah, as a kid, I think those were out for the. I think those were. I think those were. Edited during like the '90s home video release. I think so I think. too, because they did re-release it, and we're like, we made it well, prettier, that's, that's but also kind of edited. The problem with uh, and, and I get into it in like my section more, but like when you're like, I didn't even think about it when I was a kid. It's like, yeah, you don't, and that's don't. that's what the issue that's is: the is problem. that the kids are given these images of you know, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. wh- whether it's, you know, um, Pocahontas and John Smith had a loving relationship, and it's like, oh God, no, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. But you you go to show your kids these things, like Dumbo, for example, Ugh. because it's wonderful, and you'll cry every time Stupid. Dumbo's mom sings to him, <laughs> and it is so wonderful, and then you forget that there's like really racist depictions. And you forget about the birds. <laughs> yeah, and you forget about the, the crows. Birds, yep. the crows. And it's like, 
It's just something that when you were a child, it didn't phase you because you're a child and you're just like funny voices and cartoon. You don't think right. about it. Right. And then it, you know, it affects you whether or not you you knew that it affected you. Totally. That's and that is exactly the problem. You're so right. That. Which I just have one statistic I have to tell you. It's not yes. in my notes. A little political, but so so gird your loins, guys. But I'm not saying this to be political. I just thought it was fascinating. In 2015. 30% of Republican voters in the United States said that they would vote in support of bombing Agrabah. Oh, sure. No. No, Rich. that can't be real. That can't. I mean, it's I, a real place, right? No. I I can't. It is. I don't believe fantasy. that. Fantasy? No. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. I'm upset yeah. by that. So, it matters. It absolutely matters. Oh, Anyways. my. I did not know that. <laughs> I'm so upset. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Walt was hired to make these we could probably thank these propaganda movies for disney studios even existing because like you said like he was not making Mm -hmm. money at the time that was literally one of my struggling notes yeah Yeah, like he he was in a huge financial struggle that's why this was beneficial for him like a lot of people defend him for you know the anti-semitism and all the different things going on because they're like but look at all these pro-america movies that he put out he's so for the people but he basically had to make these movies like truly when you say disney was saved because of it 100 percent disney exists today because of these short films he poured all of his money again from one film into the next and he poured extra money into fantasia i should have written it down but i I think it was well over a million dollars he poured in it made like three hundred thousand dollars back it was a total flop I know we all loved it as kids, and it I went mean, on to be it's successful. But it's an experimental. It was so experimental. Art movie. It is, yeah, for like children, which it's incredibly I artistic. Mean, like studios now would never make that. Yeah, and there's only one scene with Mickey. So if you're looking yeah. for him in his wizarding hat, it's like he's only one part of it, and the rest, yeah, is this art piece to classical music, which I think people have come to appreciate now. But it totally flopped at the time, so they were. Losing and money. It's so interesting that movies like Pinocchio and Bambi didn't land with audiences. I know. Yeah. Because that those, is those two movies are incredible to look at. They're so beautiful. And is it just oh, one of those baby. things that just audiences just didn't know better? Mm-hmm. They were still maybe a little like cautious of a 70 to 80 minute cartoon. I don't sure. know. Maybe. Yeah. They were like, wait, feature length films are still brand new to us. We don't know how to react. That could totally be true. Yeah, so realistically, the money from these short films is what kept Disney afloat. He was about to file bankruptcy. He didn't know what to do. Roy, his brother, was desperately trying to get more funders and investors and was not having any luck because they were sort of like, yeah, you guys have been into some sketchy stuff lately. I don't want to work with you. So they weren't getting investors. So he basically had to do these shorts. Um, He had to fire a bunch of people, which is a whole other thing. That's why he needed the money so badly. He could not manage his money well at all. He was losing money from his flops and he thought that just laying off like 70% of his animators would do the trick and it would be totally fine. But of course his employees were smart enough that they all band together and did a labor strike Mm -hmm. like this huge four week long labor strike saying we deserve better than this. You can't just drop us at, you know, the drop of a hat. We need this company to join the union. We need our rights and we need, you know, our fair also, wages. Also, by the way, and, you haven't and, paid us for the last two movies. Yeah. And they, they didn't like pay anybody. 12-hour days and just underpaid. His, like, his top animators were getting chump change. Like, nothing at all. And, you know, treating the women horribly, which we'll talk about a little bit. I mean, not horribly, but not well. 
he thought he was saving his money after laying off this huge portion of animators, but this just angered everybody. So the labor strike went on and on. It's not a crazy request at all, but Disney was a man that believed he was above taxes, above labor unions. He Sounds wanted- like a Nazi. It does. That's why he's hard to defend sometimes, which again, I know Alex is going to be listening to this and crying and he'll have a lot to say next week. But Disney thought he was above everything and he thought Disney as a company could be above everything. That was his whole belief. I don't want collective labor. I don't want all the employees to, you know, band together and have this. I want us to be our own thing. And he would always like kind of call it his utopia. And that still that went in to the parks too, you know, of him saying, yeah. you know, this is our happiest place on earth, our utopia. I want to be above the law, which again will be a conversation for next week. But this started very early on and he was so anti-communist and so anti I was going to say he soon like, oh, I can use the communists as yeah. a reason to tell the press of why I don't like labor unions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was using that. He was basically calling all of his employees communists, and saying that they were fighting for this. one of those things that works. I, I think, so used to living in Los Angeles, Hollywood being a very open, liberal Welcome. environment yeah. Yeah. on the outside. Totally. But I mean, the 40s, it was not like that. No. That, like, Hollywood really. used to be a very conservative business. Did you guys ever see Mank? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, Mank and is all about sort of the election of yes. the governor with up yeah. in St. Clair and making all these propaganda films to try to not get him elected. And also just, but if you actually, like, work in Hollywood these days, you know how conservative it still yes. is still you is. know how it might many be liberal, on, liberal on the outside yeah. but yeah you know the how people many call them the shots especially gay men who are actors who yeah. are told like keep your husband a secret yeah. because you're Don't you're a heartthrob and blah 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 that's changing a little bit uh, thanks ryan murphy but <laughs> <True>. <laughs> ryan better. murphy's done a lot for that but uh yeah it still has a ways to go so it's not the it does left-leaning utopia but yeah this sort of seems like when bosses like joe and i said this on a recent episode of our show where like if you have a boss that says we're like family here run Mm -hmm. just run because that Mm -hmm. means we are going to take advantage of you at every turn of the bend yep and you're going to take it because we're like family here (laughs) that was his whole that was disney's whole belief like we're a family you're going to be my loyal workers and in return like you're going to be part of the best company there ever was and we're going to be the happiest place on earth but we're not going to do anything by the book i mean kind of side note with my job working at a grocery store at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the pandemic i got my first taste of like unions sort of reaching out to trader joe's employees and our company was very strict of the you should not talk to these unions. Really? And I just remember thinking, like, I really don't want to hear this from you. Yeah. Like, I, this isn't that, that is the really reaction I would like. Right? I mean, yeah. like, I would have never, like, it's not really a career that I picture myself being at for very long. So I would never even, like, look into all the union options just because, right. like, I don't even want to go there. Sure. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I just remember in a work meeting when they were talking to us about not talking to unions. Ugh. I wanted to be like, you know. You know it's what? Really, none of my business. Or like that is really none of your the business. Wrong yeah. way, guys. Right. Yeah. This isn't making me want to yeah. stay. Yep, that was Disney perfectly. And mm-hmm. there was a famous moment documented where employees said that 
Um, Art Babbitt, who was kind of leading the charge, mentioning him again, which is why they didn't like each other. One of the head animators he got on a megaphone and, you know, was trying to ramp up just, the strike. I was just watching a Disney documentary today. And they talked about, yeah, Walt got out of the car and they got into like a brawl. Right. And they had to <gasps> like separate Grabbed the megaphone them. out of yeah. his hand and tried to punch him in he the was, face. I don't know if he, he actually why, landed a He was a getting punch. like chauffeured into work. Yep. You and, know I love drama. The crowds, I know. And he got out and they like gotten like they pretty much a, a fist fight. I, I don't yeah. know if any of the punches landed because people were trying to jump in, but they got in definitely a scuffle and he tried to rip the megaphone out of his hand. And again, it's because Art Babbitt it. was speaking truth and saying what the employees deserved. And Walt is just sitting there saying you're all communists. If you want to scrappy, I think that he could have handled Walt. I think he could have too. Luckily it got broken up because Walt could have really been taken down. But Walt was very conservative. He didn't shy away from his anti-communist beliefs. He was heavily associated with the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals and was very vocally anti-communist and anti-collective labor. However, it was believed at the time, and this was even confirmed by Meryl Streep just a few years ago, that the Motion Picture Alliance was not just anti-communism, but also a bit anti-Semitic. Oh, wow. Back in the day, unfortunately, maybe things have changed, but it's because anti-communists conflated communists and Jews at that time. That just is sort of what happened. So it happened naturally. I mean, you see it even happening. It's it's still happening today. It's not gone, but it was heavy then. Yes. That communists and Jews were kind of the same in their eyes. It just really stuck with them. So Meryl Streep said these bold words in a speech before the National Board of Review in 2014. I mean, it was a long speech that I'm not going to quote, but she basically was saying, you know, Walt did amazing things, and, you know, I'll give him his credit, but he was also a misogynist, anti-Semitic, all of these things, which was crazy, and everyone was like, Meryl! But it was actually corroborated by Disney's grandniece, Abigail Disney, so it doesn't look and great Abigail for Disney kind of has a reputation of being a big loudmouth, She is. Too. She yeah. tweets things. Yeah. She, yeah. She, is, she like doesn't she, shy away. And she fully calls out the Disney Corporation on their bullshit. Yeah. On Twitter. She does. Yep. She's uh, like, she's I have a new Twitter follow. I know. Mm-hmm. She's known for doing that. So it's like sort of these things are becoming confirmed where it's like, oh, no, it's just the Motion Picture Alliance. Like they just put out movies. It's fine. But it is coming out more and more that they were very anti-Semitic back in the day. And I mean, very anti-communist. That part was at least like at the head of it. But just to go back to that labor strike again, obviously, eventually after four weeks, it was confirmed they were able to become a union. They were treated the right way to much of Walt's dismay, and but I believe that Walt was traveling through South America when they settled all of it. Did you read that? Oh, I didn't hear that. I know yeah, that he, he was, wasn't. He was traveling he wasn't through South America because he was sort of developing just sort of outreach to the Latin American countries, and that's kind of kind of creating content of just like right, yeah, because yeah. he's probably just wanted money too. Well, I'm sure, probably. but yeah, sure and then and then he ended up making like th- the three caballeros. Yeah, yeah. Yep. for sure. Right after Song of the South. Mm-hmm. Ugh, which, yeah, obviously has its problems. But I mean, part of, see, that's the thing. It's like we have these negative Walt stories where you're like, why did you do this, Walt? But then also I kind of appreciate him traveling to these places and actually sure. trying to genuinely yep. learn about the culture before making a movie. I don't know. I That's why sometimes you flip and flop on this dude. But uh, yeah, so I then fast forward again. Sorry, I was kind of going back and forth because I didn't finish my thought on the labor union. Like they became a union. They did win, even though Walt was pissed. But Abigail Disney, when she commented on Meryl Streep, I just wanted to read her quote because I thought it summed up so well how we all feel about him. She says, 
If you are going to have mixed feelings about a family member, and we all do, take it from me, you really need to be as honest as possible about those feelings, or else you are going to lead yourself into many a blind alley in life. Anti-Semite? Check. Misogynist? Of course. Racist? Come on, he made a film, Jungle Book, about how you should stay with your own kind at the height of the fight over segregation, as if the king of the jungle number wasn't proof enough. How much more information do you need? But damn, was hella good at making films, and his work made billions of people happy. There's no denying it. So there you go. Mixed feelings up the wazoo. Mm -hmm. End quote. And I think that is the perfect way to describe how we feel about Walt. Is I like, think so, too. I also, mean, yeah. I was going to say, Walt was just a product of his time, too. Yeah. Like, he was just a yes. conservative white guy that was trying to make it in Hollywood. So, of course, was he, of course he was going to embody all of those characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can unknowingly be a piece of shit. Yes, I agree. <laughs> you can totally, innocently, unknowingly be a rotten piece of shit. And uh, maybe that's just what he was. But like you said, he's brought so much happiness to so many people. His existence is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think everyone can say we're glad he existed. Yeah. However, dot, dot, dot. You can call him out on his shit. You can call I mean, him out on his like bad shit. It's kind of like how we all relate to someone like J.K. Rowling now. Yeah, yep. where it's like, oh my oh, gosh, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Sort of example. Like, where you really have to learn... To separate your love for mm -hmm. the books or the yeah. movies yeah. from or the product, the creator and her weird beliefs, weird yeah. ass yeah. beliefs that came out of mm -hmm. nowhere. Because like, there's so many people be who, my my sister included, who have like Harry Potter tattoos, who are like, I don't yeah. know how to feel about this now. It's like you don't have to feel any way well, about it. You can it. still, you can love, still Harry love Harry Potter, even though now you can watch Harry Potter and go, oh. Mm -hmm. The way they depicted Cho Chang these things is, the name of the is not great. That's or, a rough. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a little rough. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you can be of two minds of with yes. anything. And Disney is a perfect example yeah. of that. Alex. I know. I'm like, Alex, listen. We love him. I do have one more point. Is there time? Or do you no, think you I've been going on too Go long? Ahead. I know no. this has been a long time. The last point I wanted to drive was the sexism, which mm -hmm. the reason I saved it for last is because in my mind – even as a female, I shouldn't be saying this, but it's the most forgivable because he was a man of his time. Yeah. And in this time, women were kind of treated this way everywhere. I, I don't mean, just were, put it on Disney. You were regulated when you were a woman working for Disney of just painting cells because that was just woman's yes. work. Yeah, you can you can look back and be like, that was horrible. And it's like, okay, go to any other studio yeah, at the time. Just it's, it's just, yeah. it's shitty. I wanted to include it just to, you know, cover all the bases because, you know, we're what about women. What he did to Snow White. Oh, yeah. What? He blacklisted her pretty much. He like, basically he made sure that she never worked again. Yeah, I can't no. remember her name. How um, did I not hear this? Alex yeah. is again probably shaking his head. Yeah, I mean, she didn't get to promote any of the movie. He wanted to keep sort of <gasps> the voice did. of Snow White a secret. And kind of because of that, she just didn't really work a lot after. Well, that she movie. would try. Oh. And he, he basically said that he didn't want the voice of Snow White. To be anything but Snow White. So Rude she basically ass. never worked again. That's so sad. Okay, well, that really sucks. <laughs> I was is, like, this is the most forgivable. Is, uh, I'm mad now. Adriana. Thank you. Yes. yes. Okay, I do remember that name. Yep. Yes. Okay, well. Capilotti? No, Walt, I take it back. You she was an Italian? She was was she Italian? Italian? Yeah. Get it. And I believe that her house girl. in Largemont Village in Los Angeles, <gasps> okay. there is a little wishing well in front of it. Mm. I thought you were going to say it's the witch house. 
No, that's Wouldn't that be Hills. fun, I was though? about to fall off the, of this couch. The witch house is in Beverly Hills, are uh, uh, actually Cassidy's dream house. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. But having you know, a wishing well is still cute. Yeah, yeah. It was, there's a little wishing well. Do you know that the Did you know the witch house in LA that was on a movie lot and they moved it? No. Yeah, that was on like a... I just assumed I some that was on e- like eccentric the, person I think that was it. on like the MGM lot or something. Oh my God. And they yeah. just moved to the neighborhood. And they just moved yeah, it to Beverly anyone Hills. Anyone who Super lives fun. in the LA area, you already know about the witch house, but for mm-hmm. anyone who doesn't, like just Google like it's witch so house Beverly Hills. because Cher walks by it. She does when, walk uh, by it. I discovered doing, that recently. I think that it's the when the Jewel song... All by myself is playing. This is yeah, why we have a yeah. movie yeah. expert yeah. on the shopping, show, isn't it? <gasps> this is why we needed you it's on this amazing. podcast. <laughs> I did read that I recently that she walked by it. Yes, uh, listeners, if you want any uh, movie knowledge in your ears, check out movies that made us gay. You will get those kinds of tidbits and more. <laughs> Every time I come on or even like just like listen to movies that made us gay, I feel like I learn, um, I don't know, a hundred things, things per episode. Yeah. I came on for What Lies Beneath, thought I knew everything about that movie. And you guys Wrong. were just coming out with the fun facts of those actors. And yep. I was like, who and when and why? <laughs> it was so good. Anyway, we love you, Scott. And Pete, who's in the background. <laughs> and Pete, we love you. Um, okay. So yeah, this is my last point. Walt yeah. only allowed women to be inkers at the company, which basically meant they got to just trace Copy. and fill in yeah. the work of their male colleagues. They were not allowed to be in the creative process at all or be part of the animation, the main job. They were even kept in a completely separate area, just like complete segregation. Like women, here's your little box. You just do your inking. And on top of it, this was probably one of the most grueling jobs involved because sure. they are going and filling in like every little bit, tracing over all of the lines with zero recognition. Nobody's oh, getting yeah, talked about. Oh, yeah. There is no women in like the credits. Not credits. No, no, no. Yeah. Nobody cares anything. about the inkers. Nope. No. I think that's always the thing whenever I revisit the older movies that really hits me hard of like, oh, there the are no women on the crew of this movie. No. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. But again, that's kind Boys of like Club, everywhere. But yeah. just, I mean, Hollywood at the time, I mean, that's up until was. like... The 1980s, Hollywood was just a boys' club. For sure. I mean, shit, I'm surprised they even had women in films. I mean, I'm surprised it wasn't like a Greek play where the men men played the women, too. You know what I mean? I mean, and I guess just the irony of that is that pre-code in the silent era, there was women filmmakers everywhere. Yeah. And then once sort of Hollywood became a business, it just just became like like the boys' club. Yeah. Yeah. Once it became profitable men, to be a time. filmmaker. Yeah. On occasion, women would write into Disney and apply for a creative position with the company saying they had, you know, what it takes and they were ballsy. They went for it. And I was actually able to find copies of the letter that the women would receive after they applied. There's a couple of different versions that basically the wording is identical except for, you know, the name change to whoever it was for. Um, and I have a photo of it that maybe we can post on our social media or for on sure. our Patreon because the letterhead on this rejection letter just makes me giggle because it's just so Disney in every way. But I wanted to read the letter as my last thing just to show where Disney was at at the time. Thank goodness they have progressed. Um, Where is it? Okay. Hello? Oh, here I am. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Your letter of recent date has been received in the inking and printing department for the inking and painting department for reply. Sorry, it's hard to read because it's like an old letter. So again, they wrote to the creative section, but got a letter saying we sent it to inking and painting. Women do not do any of the creative work in connection with preparing the cartoons for the screen, as that work is performed entirely by young men. For this reason, girls 
not women. Girls are not considered for the training school. The only work open to women, they corrected there, consists of tracing the characters on clear celluloid sheets with India ink and filling in the tracings on the reverse side with paint according to directions. And then they go on to say, reply and write here to be an inker and painter. So that letter was just basically given over and over on adorable Disney letterhead saying like, Hey, I know you wanted to be on the creative team, but instead, no girls allowed. No girls allowed. (laughs) And then finally, when Walt decided that it was time to bring women to higher levels, which was only because of the start of the war, because men were starting to get drafted. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of young men animators and they were leaving. And he's like, shoot, all I have is a bunch of anchor women. All I have is all these broads. All these broads and the What am I going to do? What will I do? So only because of that, he was able to, you know, kind of move them up, which whatever his reasoning was, even if it was backwards and we're all mad about it it that was the start of women moving up and thank god now women are in charge of so much at disney and there's you know directors and writers were they able to stay on after the war they were okay we got to give a shout out to mary blair are you gonna talk about mary blair no i just because i'm saying a million things so go ahead we got to give a shout out to Mary Blair. Like, I mean, she was just like an American artist and animator and designer. And uh, she did concept art for Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Song, Song of the South, and Cinderella. Oh, wow. And just Mary like Blair. her visual style is all over those classical movies. True. That's just like, it's just like, you you will know Mary Blair when you see it. Yeah. When you ride, it's a small world. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. all just like her. Mary Blair. Oh, wow. And, and just, I mean, pretty much all of Alice in Wonderland is just Mary Blair concept art. So, like, one of kind of the big trailblazing women in animation. And she's recognized it. for it, which yes. is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he he moved women up and, like, thank God things changed. And this was the moment it became a little bit more progressive. But Walt still, obviously, that letter kind of went back and forth between girls and women in the rejection letter. But Walt, when he was giving a speech to his employees saying, like, hey, things are going to change. Women are going to start working more. Only referred to them as girls. There's a little snippet written down of his speech saying... The girls are being trained for in-betweens for very good reasons. In-betweens saying, you know, like moving up into they're not just going to do the tracing. They'll be involved more. The first is to make them more versatile so that the peak loads of in-betweening and inking can be handled. Believe me when I say that the more versatile our organization is, the more beneficial it is to the employees for it assures steady employment for the employee, as well as steady production turnover for us, the studio. The second reason is that the possibility of war, let alone the peacetime conscription, may take more of our young men now employed, and especially many of the young applicants. I believe that if there is to be a business for these young men, it must be maintained for the war, and the girls can help us here. So three times he just said, the girls are going to help us, but then would say, the young men. And I was like, come on. Yeah, but again, like, it's hard to hold that against him simply because you look at anything from that time. Of course. Watch League of Their Own. It's all of them. Can girls play ball? Again, that's not even like an attack on Walt. I think I'm still just baffled reading the things that happened in the 40s of like, man, especially nobody likes the ladies. That wasn't even a hundred years ago. That's right. It just seems too recent for yeah. us to just be the girls. Yeah, the but girls. anyway, things have luckily changed. Hi, I'm Courtney Fenner, and along with my co-host Amanda Cronin, hey, hey, we are a Nefarious Nightmare. We are a podcast that covers true crime, the paranormal, weird unsolved mysteries, and all with a personal approach and a sense of humor. We also end our podcast with good life advice, such as wear deodorant, 
or don't be a Richard. Courtney and I have covered cases such as the Baker Hotel in Mineral Wells, Texas, and the tragic death of little Sharon Matthews. We've also covered the case of Gloria Ramirez, who was, very unfortunately, dubbed the toxic lady in the media. And also, in episode one, we have an interview with Jason Vukovic, the Alaskan Avenger, and his sister, Angelina. So let's all gather around the bonfire and roast serial killers and marshmallows. Yes, yes, come on in, come on in. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, pretty much anywhere you find really great podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening and welcome to A Nefarious Nightmare. Scott, do you want to tell us uh, where we might find Walt Disney's head? Oh, you're looking for a head? Uh Oh my gosh. Are you looking for the head of Walt Disney? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so, I mean, I'm sure that you've heard this urban legend. Everyone's heard... The refuse to think it's an urban legend. Like, I think it's Walt real. Disney is cryogenically frozen. Yeah, his head is like sitting beneath Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. That's <laughs> one of the big the parts most. of the urban legend. Wait, I'm, before you get into it, yeah. I have to say the dumbest thing I've ever thought. When Frozen was first announced as a movie, and I knew nothing about it, I thought it was going to be about his Frozen. Well, there's Ooh. a part of the urban legend is is that Disney made Frozen. So when you Google. Disney and Frozen, Frozen. the Frozen head is not the first thing that comes up. Of course they did, those sneaky bastards. (laughs) So, I mean, I remember like an episode of Daria where they're playing like a car game and they're like naming off all of the letters of the alphabet. Mm -hmm. Daria has C and she's like the cryogenically frozen head of Walt Disney. Oh, yeah. The best response you could have. Yeah, so it's just like ingrained in pop culture. Yeah, pop Mm -hmm. culture now. The world. So this rumor has pretty much circulated ever since Walt's death in 1966. There are variations on this popular myth. You may have heard that it was just his head that was frozen. I mean, that's very also Futurama. I was going to say, oh did we God. get that yes. from Futurama? Yeah. That's okay. Are they that, the ones that, that started you would see it? in Futurama? But Futurama had like Disney's frozen head and like Richard Nixon's frozen mm-hmm. head. Like there was a bunch was of a heads. Few people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So sadly, there is zero concrete evidence that Disney ever wanted to freeze himself. Okay. Well, that doesn't mean that he didn't. I still believe it. Were these rumors started that he was frozen by a few of the animators that worked for him? Maybe. There are, however, hard documents to prove that he was cremated and interned at Glendale Forest Lawn Cemetery. You can go visit his uh, his mausoleum. You can go. Well, those are good hard facts. Um, But it's it's kind of one of those things that I mean. It's maybe not too far off because it is very plausible when you really break it down. Walt was a massively wealthy individual with a passion for futuristic technology. And yeah. around the time of Walt's death, cold storage was becoming was becoming big. And the book The Prospect of Immortality by Robert W.C. Entker had come out, which inspired former TV repairman Bob Nelson to found the Cryogenic Society of California. And it was Nelson who told the LA Times in 1972 that Walt really wanted to be frozen, but the pair couldn't quite sort out the paperwork before he died in 1966. So So that's sort of what really ties Disney to being frozen is this man. This is uh, just like a form. He's just a guy. And he's just Just a a guy that just founded the cryogenic society of California after reading that book. Uh, So he sort of kind of developed everything that we think of, of being cryogenically frozen. Yeah. Which is not like a hard science. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's (laughs) kind of quite figured that one out. It's generally viewed by the science community as quackery. 
Hmm. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. the thing is, is like there are species that can be frozen. Right. Their heart can stop mm-hmm. and they can thaw out and live fine. But they're very, they're not very complex species. It's like right. frogs, slugs, snails. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's ever happened with a person. No. I don't think that there's any like. So I Real kind of science. did a little deep dive and just I know you were cryogenic today, which is low temperature freezing and storage of a human corpse or a severed head with the speculative hope that with a resurrection could happen in the future. Right. And oh, there is a company in Arizona that does this. It is called oh. Alcor. So if this you is really very vanilla want, sky. <laughs> like if you're just really thinking that, well, I mean, just on the off chance. This has become a thing. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much, it's like donating your body to science. Yeah. Right. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. You can donate your body to be cryogenically frozen, which mm-hmm. is a thing that you can do. It's just we have no proof that anything will happen in the future. Right. You can't do it in the body. hope that you'll be resurrected. You do it just to say, well, you can study. You can, can you also imagine? cryogenically freeze your pet. Aww. That's just... Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Yeah. Like, that I get just, it, I but know, that's so sad. That just I Can you imagine, though? Yeah. Okay, imagine you die, mm-hmm. and you feel awesome. It is the best you've ever felt. Sure. Peace, love. You're just full of love. You get to see all your past you're loved like, ones. You're floating around. You're one with the you're universe. You're like catching up with your great-grandma. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. You're Living one with the, the universe. You know everything. Everything is great, and you're you're living your truth, and all of a sudden, you get sucked back. Someone to Earth, back. and it's just one of those things that, like, what is your consciousness going to be once right. you come back? Yeah. And there's a whole thing of when you look up YouTube videos of people that actually do this, and they walk you through the steps of what they do in preserving your brain when it's frozen. Of just like, I mean, what are you going to come back like if they yeah. can't yeah. put your head on a like a machine or something? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Oof. Count me out. Yeah, I when I die, I don't want to let out. me die. Just I mean, let me be free. It's also like the least eco-friendly death product. <laughs> yeah. That like I'm sure that you're just like wasting all of these natural resources just to keep your body frozen. You're, you're sweet, ruining precious, useless fucking sack of bones. And we also, don't need you. This shit ain't cheap. <laughs> so it's two hundred thousand or more for a whole body <sighs> cryopreservation, no. eighty thousand for the head only option. Ew. Yes, a head only option. Don't As worry, if- it's just eighty thousand for the head. I now I see what you're saying when you're like, what happens when you come back? You were talking about if you come back as a head. Mm-hmm. Who wants yeah. that? What happens then? You're now just you're just a head. A head. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be like, like a Mars around? attack situation <laughs> yeah. where they sew you on the body of a chihuahua. Right? And that's how you have to live like, your life. Like why? Sarah Jessica Parker style. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyways, no. all right. But yeah, well. I mean, you can do Google searches of this company in Arizona, Alcor. And I mean, the part about it that I kind of love is that all of these guys are so sincere talking about it. Of course they are. That this is something they that they truly it. believe in, of that they don't use it. They pretty much don't say, like, if we can make this happen. They're like, when, when it's possible. Yep. It's possible. Like, get ready. 
So yeah, I mean that's kind of there's not a lot to not a the lot cryogenically to frozen head. head of Walt Disney, but okay, I love fair. it. It's an urban legend. I was Me gonna say too. it's just as we always say, it's fun to believe. And guess what? It's gonna live on. And I am I, not yeah, letting this one go. So no, prominent. The, the family had to comment on it in the seventies <laughs> of that, like my father. <laughs> so many I don't think talking. had ever heard of this, <laughs> and he is definitely not frozen. Guys, please, please stop, stop looking for his body. No, but I'm with Ashley. Every time I ride Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm still going to imagine that his head is underneath it because yeah. it's just, just it brings me joy cool you know from the oh, water pirates opened like um months after Walt passed too yeah so, funny there you go yeah funny, coincidence isn't it? Put, him, put his body down there and just like <laughs> put a ride on top yep, of it it's like, I'm, a, I'm about know. to die i know you guys are creating this awesome ride put me in there yeah, so i can feel a part there. of it oh yep i believe it <laughs> so uh my next topic is um it has to do with kind of Disney ripoffs or Disney artists lifting a story and art from other yes, properties. I don't know and this is something this. that you see a lot just in entertainment in general. I mm-hmm. mean, there's only so many ideas sometimes, and sometimes you have to lift something from somebody else. Yeah. It happens yeah. a lot. Pixar's Cars, that plot is pretty much reworked from a Michael J. Fox movie called Doc Holiday. Really? It's right. all of the same exact beats that. of cars. Watch Doc Holiday. What? The Lion King, its story resembles an anime called Kimba and the White Lion. And it's Kimba and Simba. And it sort of hits all of these similar beats of (laughs) The Lion King. And one of the directors was living in Japan at the time. Oh, well, well, well. Kimba probably would have been on. So, yep. yep. Well, was it, um, was the Lion, the Lion King is known as Disney's first original story. story. Which is funny. Everything was sure. based off like fairy tales, and kind fairy of. Fairy tales, or, like or right. yeah. Yes. Or, well, that's the thing. Is that it's like, like the, mm, but it's Hamlet. The directors have even right. said like Hamlet and William Shakespeare was a major inspiration. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, they yeah. usually admit for those older movies. Hey, here was our inspo. We're front and center about that. But you're right. Lion, yeah, King, Lion King was very was like this first, is our like, story. This is one that we wrote. It's not based off of even uh, Song of the South was Uncle Remus stories, right. which were uh, you know written by a white man, but but they were told. To yeah. him by a man named yeah, Uncle Remus, who is story. a or former slave. Usually children's books. Yep. Like or children's books, yeah. The Rescuers, The Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. The Black Cauldron. The Aristocats. The Aristocats, yeah. Everybody one wants Dalmatians. to be um, But Love one it. of the ones that I find the most interesting, have either of you heard of The Thief and the Cobbler? No. Mm-mm. So The Thief and the Cobbler is from the Canadian animator Richard Williams, who spent decades making this Arabian Nights style movie that was insanely ambitious for the time. And it holds the record for the longest production schedule for a completed feature movie of 28 years. And, and this at, is animation. 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 Okay. And at one point in the 70s, a Saudi prince agreed to be the financial backer. And Richard Williams at the time was just a total character and would just work day and night on The Thief and the Cobbler. And it was just insanely ambitious that the type of animation that he was making not even Walt and his animators would even bother with this. It was that much work. It wow. was that many frames. And it just sort of became his reason for living, working day and night on it. And these images are just super crisp and lifelike. And the animation was just painstaking. And nothing like it had ever been done. Everything is vibrant and, and busy. And there's just something going on in every single shot of the movie. And due to independent funding and complex animation, The Thief and the Cobbler was in and out of production for over two decades until Williams was pretty much scooped up by Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis. And do you know what he went to go work on? Uh, 
Was it Indiana Jones? No. Damn. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <gasps> oh, my so gosh. So he's sort of yeah. the pioneering okay. animator yes. that would drop in Roger Rabbit with people. Yeah. Like, uh, and and, and like when you when you time. revisit Roger Rabbit, we're Pete and I were watching a little bit of it last night. Those scenes are fucking amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. They that, look incredible. Like when it's just how seamless those characters act with people. Yes. Right. That they every, cast shadows, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which like, is every scene doesn't look jerky, and it's just I think it's just because of the high frame rate that everything yeah. just looks so crisp and beautiful. Yeah, yeah, because really even uh, Disney was Disney the first one to do that because I know they did it with Song of the South, they did it with Three right. Cabreros, but like. I mean, the big thing is also Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. I think Poppins. That they were the most yes. dynamic mm-hmm. with Dick Those Van Dyke penguins. dancing with the penguins. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even best. though it's humans in animation in Song of the South, but I don't think it looks as cool oh, as no, something no, no, like no, no, Mary no. Poppins. It no. certainly Agreed. does not. So we saw how Roger Rabbit turned out. It was mm-hmm. a gigantic hit in 1988 mm-hmm. when it came out. Uh, and Richard, today. Richard I like, Williams I loved it ended up kid. winning multiple Oscars in animation and his effect work for Roger Rabbit. Love and it. because of the success of that movie, Warner Brothers was like, sure, we'll fund your movie. And from 1989 to 1992... He went to go work on it again for Warner, and then Warner ended up dropping its funding, which pretty much left the movie in pieces. And uh, okay. guess what other movie came out in 1992? Aladdin. Aladdin came out, uh, beating kind of the thief and the cobbler to the punch and taking a lot of the visuals from that movie. And okay, let's let's think about it. I'm sure that animators that worked on Aladdin probably knew of this movie. They've probably I had either worked on it. Say, they, yeah. It was probably a major that. inspiration when they were doing concept art. And much of the Thief and the Cobbler's fingerprints are everywhere in that movie. Mm. Everything has a striking resemblance. The style and characters of the Thief and the Cobbler, for example, the character of Zigzag from the Thief shares many physical characteristics with both Aladdin's villain Jafar and its genie, because I think that they're both blue. They, they kind of have that blue character. Oh, okay. They kind of have that blue character design. Okay. And just the animators would have used that as a visual reference. And there's been no official statements from Disney about them pretty much lifting all of Richard Williams. They just say it's their art. original. Yeah. Their original idea. Hmm. And then the film, the film went on to Fred Calvert Fred at Creative Casper's Entertainment. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know how you said it once. (laughs) So pretty much like another studio just ended up taking the movie from him. Okay. Of we're going to finish it. And they kind of, it took them 18 months to finish the film and it was turned into a Disney type production, probably just because this production house just wanted to capitalize off of the wild success of something like Aladdin. But it's just like, this animation was so wildly complex that yeah. they sort of had to kind of do stuff to match it. And I don't think that they ever really did it. And Miramax ended up getting the footage in the mid-90s, cutting it into a feature, and filled in the spaces where the movie was finished. And the irony behind that is who owns Miramax? Mm, Disney. Disney. So it was just sort of Disney, like, oh, well, like, we'll capitalize off of this movie that we already ripped off. And it's one of those things, too, that Pete and I have tried to sit through The Thief and the Cobbler, and it's a beautiful movie, but but it's just a mess. And it's one of those things that it's it's not not really his movie. 
Yeah. It's just like, he's not really signing off on any of this. Right. Like, it's worth the track down if you're just interested in it just yeah. to see where the aladdin influences but also are. if you fucking look at yeah. it how like, are these not aladdin characters yeah. like, look it's at aladdin. this one thing i have a okay. funny uh, right okay okay this is how absurd. is that not aladdin it's literally aladdin oh like every character i can see everyone here yeah even like when Jafar looks like an old gremlin you know in the cave. The, um, yes. And do you know who the voice of Zigzag is? Who? It's, who? it's Vincent Price. <gasps> Vincent Price, <gasps> who died Price. during the making of it. Stop. So they just no. had to use whatever dialogue like bites that they, they got had with of him. him. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And Jennifer God, I Beals, I believe, is their uh, is like their Princess Jasmine character, okay. and mm-hmm. and Matthew Broderick is sort of their crazy Aladdin character. You okay. should look up like kind of the Aladdin. the main protagonist because just it has this crazy look to it. Okay. Yeah, it's this guy with like needles in his mouth. Yep. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I'm uh, into it. The Aladdin thing that I wanted to bring up uh, that I found when I was researching this episode is that do you know how they got? Robin Williams to play the genie. Mm-mm. So the animators that were making the film that were working for Disney at the time took like 20 minutes of Robin Williams stand up uh-huh. and they and animated it, it uh-huh. with the genie. So, so like there smart. was one moment in his stand up where he's like talking to himself as another person. So they made the genie grow two heads and talk to himself. So cool. And Robin Williams was like, this is brilliant. I said it was the I'm funniest in. thing ever. Yeah, and he, he was, was like, in. unlimited potential I'm in. What a great way to sell it to Seriously. him. That is so smart. And well, his and whole also, thing is a stand up bit. And also with Robin, we don't have to go too into it, but Ro- Robin Williams naively signing on to that movie of like I'm not gonna I'm not doing this to sell anything yeah no. like that's not my gig but I mean it's Disney it's Disney yeah. so so it was kind of a struggle that he always had with those movies of that I'm gonna voice the genie like I'm not gonna just sell crap for you yeah but that doesn't really work with a company like that right no. mm-hmm. no, you should know yeah. when you're working for if you're doing a Disney or now these days a Marvel movie yes, you are a brand that you are not an actor you have become part of the you brand become you are Tony not Stark. an individual congratulations yep. yeah Robert Downey Jr. who um irish animators tom moore who did the secret of the kell song of the sea and the wolf talkers have also cited williams thief and the cobbler as being a major influence on their animation if you've seen any of those movies it definitely has that particular style to it so i kind of like that yeah that like his influence has lived on kind of lived on and inspired other creatives yeah so yeah i mean just kind of an interesting story and um williams ended up dying in 2019 Damn, that was recent. Yeah, he yeah. ended up doing one last short. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it was not made for an Oscar. Oh wow! Okay, what? so That's yeah, fine. so he That's did. Great. He did create something right before he passed. Right, God, he yeah. didn't like the thing when you were like, "Oh, Disney stole this story." I was just waiting for you to be like, "And he died in a puddle of his own piss in the center." You know what I mean? And like nobody came and no one knew for his him. name. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. the fact that he like kept going and was able to work his whole life is it like a little legacy. Has this huge following in the animation yeah. community right. of that you really changed He's the game recognized. with People something like what Roger did. Rabbit. That yes. that was incredible, and it still holds up. That it looks one hundred percent. Like seamless. I will watch that movie right fucking it's now. So good. So kind of, I was trying to find other dark. Sad tales of Disney's past. Mm -hmm. And are you familiar with the child actor Bobby Driscoll? Who was kind of a Disney actor. I don't think he was official. He was an official Mouseketeer, but he is also the voice of Peter Pan. Okay. He wasn't in... No. He was in Song of the South. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. I was going to say, I recognize yeah. that name. He mm-hmm. was. He was yeah. a little boy in Song of the South. Okay. So he did a few Disney. Wow. So he was okay. a Disney contract child actor of film and TV performances from 1943 to 1960. He starred in some of the most known Disney films from the period, such as Song of the South, So Dear to My Heart, The Window, and Treasure Island. And he most iconically is the voice of Peter Pan in their animated movie in 1953. And he received the Junior Oscar for his performances Uh in So Dear to My Heart and The Window, back when they used to give child Oscars, like specifically. I think that like Haley Mills was the last one to get one. We should still do that. Why don't we do that? Well, I mean, the Baftists have the rising star. Yeah. So, I mean. We need that equivalent. We need a Baftist. Why not? I don't know why we're not. There's great. There's so many good performances. So kind of. Bobby Driscoll's story is kind of a tragic one. When he went through puberty, he was pretty much dropped from Disney of Ugh, that. You're not yeah. really cute anymore. You kind of turned into a funny looking That's the problem teenager. with child actors. I you don't know, know what they're mm-hmm. going to, you know, gonna happen are they going to end up being a Hayden Panettiere mm-hmm. or are they going to end up being a Haley Joel Osment? Or, oh or, or the kid from... From the Partridge family. Yeah, Danny Bond- a funny Danny looking. Bonaducci. Yes. Oh, yeah. Danny okay, Bonaducci. Yeah. Ooh, he ended up- Not I only like is he funny looking, he's insane. I was like, every yeah. interview or like video insane. I see of him, he looks like a crazy, and I just get creep vibes from yeah. him, to be honest. He was wow. in uh, the Celebrity Real World. What yeah. was that show called? The Surreal Life. Surreal, surreal Life. Oh my the surreal God. life so, got him off. <laughs> yeah, the surreal life the really... Bunch. Yeah, what a fall Nailed from it. grace. So after he went through puberty, he was pretty much dropped from Disney, and his parents withdrew him from the Hollywood Professional School, which served a lot of child actors at the time. When he left the school, his grades began to drop substantially, and he became a target of ridicule for his work with Disney. And surprise, surprise, he turned into a, he turned to drugs as an outlet. Oh, well. Saying, the other kids didn't accept me. They treated me as one apart. I tried desperately to be one of the gang. When they rejected me, I fought back, became belligerent and cocky, and was afraid all the time. And Driscoll started to use marijuana and heroin. Ooh. Those are two different drugs. Yeah. Very different <laughs> so drugs. Like, what was he looking mm-hmm. for? <laughs> he still did a little bit of TV work. His last known appearance on TV were small roles in the series The Best of the Post, a syndicated anthology series adapted from the Saturday Evening Post stories and The Brother. Never heard of it. And just kind of other small TV things. Right. He didn't really. At the time. So he didn't didn't really really go on to do very much. Uh, Late 1961, he was sentenced as a drug addict and imprisoned. Sentenced as a drug addict? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that he probably just got caught buying drugs. Yeah, for sure. And he was Was sent to Chino. Okay. At the California Institution for men. So like yeah. pretty much like the prison it's, in Chino. Yeah. Yeah. And when Driscoll left Chino in 1962, he was unable to find any acting work. He later moved to New York City in 1965 after his parole and attempted to come back to acting, but it never really happened. He ended up falling in with the Warhol crowd at the factory oh. in the mid-60s. Well, During his tenure at the factory, Driscoll gave his last known film performance in an experimental movie called Dirt. Uh, well... So he kind of rolled with the Warhol crew, which the Warhol crew was a ragtag ragtag group, but also (laughs) like probably hit drugs really, really. I was going to say stuff like heroin. And on March thirtieth, nineteen sixty-eight, two boys playing in an abandoned warehouse in East Village found his body lying (gasps) on a cot next to two empty beer bottles and religious pamphlets on the ground. Uh, uh, Was it a overdose? 
It was an overdose. Yeah. It was yes. a heart failure. And they couldn't find any identification on Peter the body. Pan. And they pretty much just thought that he was just like a homeless person. And they put his body in an unmarked pauper's grave in New York City's Heart Whoa. Island. Oh, what? So, yeah. Is it marked now? In the late 60s, Driscoll's mother, with the help of officials at Disney Studios, tried to find him. And they ended up getting a fingerprint match with the New York oh, City Police Department. God. And they traced his burial to Hart Island. And they found him. So they Dang. brought his uh, remains back to Oceanside, California, My which that they're God. still there. Wow. So yeah, so this very, like, kind of the the saddest child actor story in history. Very yeah, sad. and there are, it's got there's competition. Lot, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. there's got so a lot of competition. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Jesus. Especially that originally, it's like, here you go, homeless man in your unmarked grave. Mm -hmm. like, to Guess boys down. do yeah, grow just up. Kind of a, just oh, kind of, I mean, I hate to bring down man. the party, but just kind of a sad story. Seriously. But it's one of those things that I think that it was one of, I think it was something that I would have had to been watching Peter Pan and just like found this on IMDb and just went just on like a rabbit it. hole. Yeah. Of just like, oh my God, this that. sad story about the actor from Peter Pan. Very yeah, sad. the things that you Bobby. find when you're on your IMD rabbit holes True. too. You can go down so down. many. Uh, I'm not going to cover my stuff today. If you guys would like to uh, know a little bit about Disney's history in films such as Song of the South <laughs> and Pocahontas, mm -hmm. I think you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, it's going to be a part of our bonus episode. We're going to be covering more Disney stuff on that. So if you'd like to check that out, it's going to be in our Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. The one thing I did just like quickly want to go over is my original idea for this episode which didn't quite pan out was that i wanted to do disney conspiracy theories yeah. but there really wasn't anything more than what everyone knows sure. everyone goes over yeah. these the all the time yeah. and i can debunk most of them so there's a penis on the cover of little mermaid yes and no there was. There is a penis on the cover of Little Mermaid. But they changed it. They changed the cover so you can't find it now. But the original cover, yep. my oh, VHS that was half chewed Google on by it. my dog. There's a dick on it. Straight up The dick. only thing is the animator was like, I swear to God, yeah, I that was drawing a castle. intention. But the man <laughs> I did not is mean in... to make that tower phallic. <laughs> but it is a It's not even that it's just phallic. It looks like it has veins on it. Looks it like it looks veins, like a it's straight got a tip. up yeah. So I remember my sisters giggling at that. Yeah. When I was oh, young. Always. And just you had older sisters, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just being like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Like, this beautiful castle? Yeah. Uh, and I think that I had to area. get on the internet at the age of like 11 mm -hmm. to figure it out. Yeah. To be like, why are my sisters like, so why are my sisters losing their damn mind to the cover of the box of The Little Mermaid? I was yeah. Just, I giggled at it all the time. So funny. Um, so it's not, you know, not uh, supposed to be also the priest during ariel's wedding supposedly has a boner the animator says it was supposed to be his niece so it's that was it's his footer's also niece. like an yeah. accident yeah but it does look it's, just like a, a it's just a, it's just a weird unfortunately angle. It's a fun one though. look a little bit like a boner <laughs> the scene in the lion king where simba collapses in the grass and a bunch of like pollen oh, yeah, or leaves. flowers or whatever blows up and spells the word sex it actually spelled sfx it was supposed to be a subtle nod to the animators but oops kind of look like sex and now everyone thinks <laughs> It's sex. Yeah, which like an F and an E, we get it. They Listen, can look you look at it it's and it's fun. like, that looks like sex, it but sure also does. it could be SFX. It was just a nice just little nod to <laughs> the animators. Still giggle. 
Aladdin did not say all good teenagers take, take off their, their clothes. clothes. He said, down kitty, take off and go. This is definitely one of a Yanny and Laurel situation. Sure. Because you can hear whichever one you want. If you're like, thinking, if you're about, thinking it. about it, it will sound like whichever one you like. Uh, it's a Yanni and Laurel situation, not a giant pedophile mastermind trying to subliminally Teenagers suggest things. The clothes. That's what it sounds daughters. like. In your brain. It does. Teenagers. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't. So, yeah, like I said, I'm going to be covering on the bonus episode this month, I'm going to be covering um, basically what went down with Song of the South Oof. and how it's not a new problem. I think a lot of people assume that someone saw it today and went that's super racist oh. but really yeah i mean it was controversial told, at the time people yeah. told him not to make that film mm-hmm. i was gonna yeah. say Before that's the one it. time so, you can't look at walt and say man of his time no no he no, met, you were advised he not met to with make civil rights groups to hear yeah. them out and i think and that the groups kind it. of walked away from the meeting thinking like okay like we i think, got to him. i think i think we yeah. got to him no. and then they went to the movie well and unfortunately the problem is is that after that Disney, as we know, did not learn their lesson. No. There's a lot of which episode did you talk about queer coding? Because I want to direct yeah. people. We talked to about it. queer coding on our episode on Robin Hood that just came yeah. out. Was it on Robin Hood? It was on Robin Hood. That's why yep. I haven't heard it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yep. um, that makes sense. On uh, movies that made us gay, they just talked about a Disney movie. They just talked about Robin Hood, which is actually one of my favorites. I it love Robin. And Hood. you know, Robin Hood was supposed to be set in the South. Well, was it really? And I'm glad that's it wasn't. Why the, that's why the Jeez. movie sort of does. There's certain characters. There are certain characters that certain are a little. character and voice performances that you could see. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, I can see what probably the idea of this movie was. Yeah. And then they sort of decided to pull back from it. Yeah. Right. Well, sense. you know what? For good reason. They probably yeah. shouldn't do that. Anyways, yes. Queer coding is Queer coding, fascinating. You need to learn about Yeah. It. A lot of Disney movies have done it. And also, um, when they did Pocahontas, they also sort of met with Native American tribes. Yeah. They met with Native American historians and basically ignored everything they said. Right. So it's true. like, so nice of you to do this, yeah. but was it just for publicity? Why did you, you not take everything. any notes from these fucking and people? Right. I remember I was taking, in college, Native American history classes and... Our main film instructor that teaches the American Western film, uh, Native Americans in cinema, she always would just roll her eyes at it. Of yeah. like, this is a movie about Native Americans, and it's just made by a bunch of white people. Yeah, it's told completely. Like, its wrong. ideas are like there. The intentions They're are there, the intentions but are it good. just sort of it just sort of doesn't work. It yeah. didn't quite make it there, and that has an Not example quite. of queer coding in it too, with the main villain being a little oh, more yeah. like feminine, and I, I was reading an article about it where it's like John Smith was made out to look like the nice colonizer because he was masculine and he mm-hmm. understood Pocahontas, but the more feminine man who cared about his fashion choices and had his little pug was yeah. looked at as evil. Which, listen to the bonus episode this month if you want to hear... What really happened to that man, because it fucking rocks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited. But that is all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you so much, Scott, for coming on the show again. We love you, Scott. It was good to see you, guys. It was always so nice to see you. I know. Seeing you Mm -hmm. face to face. We're about to go play a round or two of Disney trivia, and I'm going to lose really hard. Do you have anything to plug aside from Movies That Made Us Gay, which we've already plugged several times, and you guys should go listen to it? What's the Instagram? It's just at Movies That Made Us Gay, right? Movies That Made Us Gay. Yeah. And MTMUG Pod Mm -hmm. on Twitter. 
Follow me on Letterboxd at Scott Youngbauer. Oscar oh, wow. Scott on Twitter. And you. Scott Youngbauer on Instagram. Yes. I was just on the Sewers of Paris podcast with our guest Matt Baum that was on our Robin Hood episode. I talked about the 20-year anniversary of Six Feet Under. Love and it. just how, oh, gosh, what a huge influence that show was for me as a young gay person. I talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. So, yeah. I love it. I mean, that we have an episode a week. Yep. And Crazy. they're all fantastic. Yep. And Lauren and I are on several of them. You so yeah. if you like us, <laughs> you can start out with twi- those. You have, we got you twice during the pandemic. One for Encino yeah. Man. And okay. Joe came on for that one. And the other one say. was The Cell. Yeah. And oh I, yeah, the cell. We love that crazy. Oh my gosh, you, you I came on for what lies beneath, yeah. and like pre-pandemic, I came on for what was it? Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, of course, like one How of my all-time you? favorites. I know Ashley absolutely. And then the done two of us were on well. an episode together. We did the witches, which of course. And then I also came on for Death, Death Becomes, Becomes Her. Her. Guys, there's so many good movies. Gotta go yeah. check it. That you don't hear other podcasts talk about. So I think mm-hmm. you should check it out. Make sure that you're following us on social media as well at Keep It Weird Cast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, I guess if you're on there, we're not really on there. So you can keep up with everything we are doing. Make sure that you join us next week because we are going to continue our Disney series. We're going to dive into Disney parks. Oh, I'm so jealous. And we're going to be discussing some of the really cool history involving Disney World, Disneyland, and probably some other locations as well. And our guest is going to be Alex Ogle, my husband, <laughs> finally after here to defend five his king. Years. If you want to help us produce our show, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. You can donate $1, 5 or $10 to our show once, or you can set it up to donate monthly, and you'll get bonus episodes, a newsletter, discounts on merch, and shout-outs on our show in return for helping us make this possible. You can also head over to our Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast and get one of our new shirts. They are the cutest. Or one of our old shirts. Whatever you (laughs) want to buy. They're all on sale. (laughs) Shirts, tank tops, hoodies, sweatpants, even blankets. You can get them all in our Etsy store. Guys, what is our sign off today? What's a real Disney sign off? TTFN, ta-ta for now. (laughs) That was a bad digger. um, how How would Disney sign off? Bippity boppity boop. That's a good question. Keep it magic. It was basically our sign off, but keep it magic. Keep it magic. (laughs) Keep it magic (laughs) and weird. Bye. 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 (laughs) And I'll cut all this dead fucking air. Sure. I think we're making magic right now. Oh, just kidding. This is all (laughs) staying in. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!